can keep talking and talking. I'm just going to read my magazine here. <laughs> I do want to let you know that um, the new edition of the Calvary Chapel magazine is now available, so one per family, um, and they're free in the bookstore, so you've got to go in the bookstore and get them, and great articles of the different churches and ministries uh, that take place all around the world uh, through Calvary Chapel. It's a great, great magazine, very well done, and so those are available for you. So I'm going to give this one away to the Kearns. There you go. See, it, it pays off to sit up front, so you never know what will happen. A um, couple quick announcements, too. While I'm giving announcements, uh, Job chapter 40, if you'll turn there, we're going to finish the book of Job tonight. Um, we've been in the book of Job for about four months, and uh, so it'll be good to finish. And then next week, we'll go into the book of Psalms, and we'll start uh, our study in Psalms. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Jerry will slip you a Bible. We're going to cover three chapters so we can finish Job tonight. So it always feels good when you finish a book, and um, especially a book like Job, um, a very sobering book, a very serious book. Uh, but very necessary for us to look at, and we're going to kind of sum everything up as we close um, the book of Job here tonight. And then uh, next week, we're going to begin Psalms. Psalms is 150 chapters, so um, we'll see how many, yeah, it won't be 150 weeks, all right, so. (laughs) But Psalms, listen, um, invite somebody out. Psalms, as we get into the middle of the Bible, Uh, deals with worship, and then we'll go into Proverbs that deals with wisdom. And two very important aspects in the Christian life is worship and wisdom. So uh, you guys want to come out as we go through the Psalms. You'll find them to be very uplifting, very encouraging. Um, It'll just bring comfort to you. And uh, so come out on Wednesday nights as we go through the book of Psalms. A couple quick announcements that were handed to me right before service. Uh, Parents... uh, Luke and Ashley uh, wanted to make sure that um, they're announcing it to the youth that on Friday, February 20th, that's a week from this Friday, 6 to 9, Loveland Laser Tag Fund Center, as they're going to do laser tag, as for middle schoolers and for high schoolers, $15 a person. They got these flyers up there, but parents, I want to kind of just tell you because I know how um, kids are. It's like, oh, we got laser tag tonight. I need $15. So um, so anyway, I'm giving you a warning, all right, over in Loveland, and we'll have it in the bulletin on Sunday. Also, the singles adults are going to have a, a gathering and a group Valentine dinner at Canton Gardens downtown. So see the lady shaking her head. You can talk to her about that. Amy, I'll give you any, um, answer any questions that you have. Seven o'clock, and that's this Saturday, Valentine's. Guys, make sure, all right? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Make sure you get a Valentine this Saturday, all right? I shouldn't have to be telling you that, but... All right. <laughs> I'll take care of Sue, so... And my kids... Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can gather as um, just a church family. And um, the last four months, we've been going through a book that deals with suffering. It deals with um, tragedy. Um, Lord, it deals with uh, a lot of things that sometimes we go through in our own lives because all of us go through difficulties and trials and losses in life. And Lord, I thank you that um, we see your faithfulness and your compassion and mercy, especially at the end of this book, that is going to be, um, Lord, shown to Job. And that's the same thing that you want to show us. That, Lord, that we know that we can trust you with our lives because we trust you with our salvation. And, Lord, I do pray that you would just bless our time in the study of your word right now as we finish this wonderful book, the book of Job. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you recall, as we've gone through the book of Job, that in chapters 1 and 2, we saw Job's despair. There was this heavenly scene that took place as the sons of God would present themselves before the throne of God, and Satan was there. And it was God that said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
And we saw in chapter 1 that according to God, Job was the greatest man in the East. And he was the greatest man in the East not because he was, you know, all-powerful and, and had prestige and wealthy and all of this. He was the greatest man in the East because he feared God and he shunned evil. He was blameless. And he was a, a man of godly integrity. So we saw that Satan asked for Job and and. It was God that said, you know, have you considered him? Yes, I have considered him, was the answer of Satan. And here's the thing, that God, you know, uh, is the one that just loves us so much and he cares for us. But Satan will ask for us. That is, remember that it was Jesus that said to Peter, Peter, Satan's been asking for you and he wants to shift you like wheat. You know, that must have been very sobering for Peter to hear that from our Lord. You mean Satan's asking for me? We know from Revelation chapter 12 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And as you are one that's desiring to fear the Lord and shun evil and live in godly integrity and and be blameless as Job was, it's going to be Satan that's going to accuse you before the Lord. And he, he, he says, you know what? You've protected him. You put a, a shield around him. You, you let that go. You let me at him, and he will curse you. And so God would remove that protection. And, of course, it was Satan that would be used to, to bring, you know, devastation to Job. He lost his children, his servants, his animals, and he was afflicted physically, but Job did not curse God. So we saw his despair in chapters 1 and 2, and then in chapters 3 through uh, 37, we saw uh, Job's debates as his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far, come to the ash heap with Job, and, and they begin to give counsel to Job. And as they're doing that, they were ones that would say that, Job, you must have sinned. You, you've done something wrong. You've done wickedness. That's why you're being judged by the Lord. You need to confess it and you need to repent of it and then you'll have healing and restoration. And during that debate, we know in counsel that it was Job that was hurt by it. It was Job that was struggling. He was struggling, uh, wondering if God was just. He's struggling, wondering if it's worth serving the Lord. And the pain and the hurt that he was going through, he was being honest with those guys. And these guys really hurt Job. Matter of fact, you recall in chapter 16 that they were called miserable counselors by Job. So all those chapters that we saw of, of the debates and, and those three friends that debated with Job, he maintained his integrity. And then we saw six chapters of a young guy that came along, Elihu, that we finished last week, and he addressed Job for six chapters in chapters 32 through 37. And Elihu was very hard on Job, and he basically says the same thing. So that's what we saw. We saw Job's despair. We saw Job's debate and, and as he received counsel and as he was struggling and, and wanting to be vindicated by the Lord. But now we're going to see that we're going to have Job's deliverance that is going to be for us. And as God would show himself in the whirlwind, a storm was approaching as Elihu was finishing up. And then as chapter 38, God speaks. And as he speaks, he's revealing his omnipotence, his all, you know, I'm all-powerful, Job. Do you really understand me? And, and he would begin his address by saying, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, some say that he, the Lord, as he's speaking out of the whirlwind, is directly speaking to Job. And we know that Job here in the last chapter, when we get to chapter 42 here tonight, that Job is going to repent of that. I've spoken of things that I did not know or understand. But some believe that this is a direct uh, rebuke against Elihu because also what we're going to see in chapter 42 is the Lord's going to come along and rebuke Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far for what they said. And so this could be a rebuke against Elihu and what he was saying. Again, they would speak truth in certain areas, but they would make the wrong application and implication towards Job. So God rebukes these guys, and now he's addressing Job, and he says that prepare yourself like a man. I'm going to question you, and you shall answer me. So we covered chapter 38 and 39 last time as God's talking about, Job, were you there when I, I 
measured out the, the world? Were you there when I laid the foundations? Uh, were you there when I directed the lightning bolt and the rain to come upon the ground? Were you there? Do you understand how it is that I put the constellations into the sky? Are you there? And do you understand how it is that I provide for the animals? And so he's just talking about his omnipotence and how he's the creator and how he is one that is a great God. And we know that Job was one that he realized the greatness of God, but he didn't understand the goodness of God. And so the Lord is getting Job to get his focus off of him. And Job has been so busy trying to defend his integrity that he's forgotten about God's integrity. So the Lord is getting Job to get his focus on the Lord and that he's the one that can judge fairly and perfectly and righteously. And that's what he's going to be addressing, and he's going to be challenging Job as we pick up our text now in chapter 40. So the Lord answered Job and said in verse 1, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. So we see that God is putting Job on the spot here. Job, are you going to instruct me? The Lord says, are you going to correct me and challenge me? In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet would write that who can know the mind of the Lord and who can be his counselor? The problem is, is oftentimes I can be his counselor. And oftentimes I think I know the mind of the Lord and, and Lord, this is the way you should think. And of course, it was Isaiah that also said of the Lord that the, God, his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts and his ways are much higher than our ways. And so, Job, who are you to contend with me, is what the Lord is saying. Uh, you know that it was Job's desire to take God to court and argue his case. So now, Job, you can present your case, but we're going to see that he doesn't present a case here. So, verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile, and what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job is speechless before God. And it's interesting because while he was talking with his three friends, you know, all those chapters, he had a lot of things to say about God, didn't he? And now he says, as the Lord reveals himself to Job, as he reveals his omnipotence to Job, he says that, behold, I am vile, which means that I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm insignificant. I have no right to debate with you, God, is what he's saying. And I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. What can I say? I, I shouldn't speak. I like what Warren Worsby says as he comments on these verses that we just read. That he says, until we are silenced before God, he cannot do for us what needs to be done. In other words, as long as we defend ourselves and argue with God, he cannot work in us and through us to accomplish his plan through us. And God's not through addressing Job, but here's the thing. Oftentimes, again, we want to contend with the Lord. We want to debate with the Lord. We want to, to argue with the Lord. And what we need to do is be still before the Lord. And we need to come to Him in humility and submission and say, Lord, You are Almighty God, and You are majesty, and You are great, and You are perfect, and You are all-knowing. And Lord, I can trust you with my life. And you know what is best for me. And Lord, I'm not going to debate in what you're doing in my life. I may not understand it, but I know your promise for me is this, that you promise to work all things out for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. And I know that I can trust in you and rest in your love in my life. So here Job is saying, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to contend with you, Lord. And, and then we're going to see that God challenges Job here, he's, he's going to speak about a couple creatures that we're going to read through, uh, a couple massive animals that used to exist on the earth. Can you contend with them, with my creation? Can you contend with that, Job? If you can't contend with them, how are you going to contend with me, argue with me? How are you going to come against me? So the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said in verse 6, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. So again, Brace yourself, prepare yourself. God is not done showing Job who he is. Here's the thing I want to remind us as we talked about this last time when God said to Job, Job, prepare yourself like a man. That you and I need to be ones that are always teachable, always preparing our hearts 
to be soft and humbled before Him when we have our devotions, when we come to Him. Yes, there are those, those times where we ask the Lord, Lord, why is this happening? And we question and we struggle and we wonder. And we can say that out of the honesty of our hearts. And that's what Job was doing. But to come to that point of, Lord, I don't understand everything. I can fall back into things I do understand. And that is your love. And that is your word given to me. And I know that I'm in your hands. And you care for me. And, Lord, you're working your purposes in my life. So here is, he says that, you know what, prepare yourself. And we need to always be ones to prepare ourselves to receive the Word of God, teachable, and just be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord speaking to our hearts. But as the Lord challenges Job here in verse 8, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an, an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like His? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Verse 13, hide them in the dust together. Bind, uh, bind their faces in hidden darkness. And then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. So remember that Job questioned the justice of God, didn't he? And in that, Job was, as I mentioned to you, more concerned in the defense of his integrity rather than God's integrity. And so, would you annul my judgment, Job, is what he says? You know, would you condemn me that you might be justified? You see, the Lord is the only one that can justify anyone. The Lord is the only one that can judge righteously. And he says, can you, you know, crush the wicked? Can you humble the proud? We need to let God do the judging um, and remember that He is the only one that knows our hearts and other hearts perfectly. It was Solomon when he was dedicating the temple there in 1 Kings. He was dedicating that first temple and he says, God is the one that truly knows the hearts of men. The Lord knows our hearts and He knows other hearts. He's the only one that can judge perfectly, righteously, and perfectly just and, um, and fair and true. And we need to remember that. And to me, that really frees me up, folks. Because here's the thing, that I don't have to judge somebody towards condemnation. Yeah, we judge works. Yeah, we judge what people say. Certainly we do. We're to be wise. We're to be uh, ones that we are to filter everything through the Word of God. You who have been here long enough, you know that I constantly am telling you that the things that are said and, and the actions that people do, we need to filter it through the Word of God. But here's the thing. I don't have to, to go around judging people's hearts because I can't truly know their hearts. So the Lord comes to me and says, listen, Jeff, you don't know as much as you think you do. So why don't you let me do the judging and why don't you love them and minister to them and be honest with them? And give him my word. And that just frees me up to do that. So here, Job, can, can you do that? Can you judge fairly and perfectly? Do you have the ability to do that? And the Lord continues in verse 15. Look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See, now his strength is in his hips, and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. Surely the mountains yield food for him, and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees and coverts of reeds and marsh. And the lotus trees, verse 22, cover him with their shade, the willows by the brooks around him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with the snare. So as we finish the chapter, God describes one of the mighty creatures that he created. And as he describes this creature, it's an ancient creature, the behemoth, and and some believe that uh, this creature is some kind of hippopotamus, elephant-type creature, probably a, a dinosaur. You say a dinosaur, you know, were dinosaurs alive? I do believe that dinosaurs and men existed before the flood. 
that they existed together, that after the worldwide flood, and remember that the book of Job is the oldest book on the face uh, or in the Bible, and it happened just a couple hundred years after the flood. So before the flood, and the fossil evidence even shows it, that they found fossils of dinosaurs, and right next to it, human footprints. So it tells me that man was around. And if you want to study more on it, go to the Answers in Genesis and go on their website, and they'll answer all those questions. But I believe that before the flood, there's great evidence, as uh, we know that the climate was a lot different, and there was a firmament around the world. There was a tropical climate. That's why they found tropical you know, leaves, fossils of tropical leaves in, in the northern uh, parts of the uh, hemisphere up by the North Pole and, and down by the Antarctica, uh, the South Pole, because it was all tropical. And then as the waters gushed up, as the uh, crust opened up, and, and as the floods came and that firmament uh, would uh, come upon the earth and, and it rained for 40 days, uh, all of a sudden there was massive geo upheaval. I believe perhaps the earth rotated on its axis at that time a little bit. And then after the flood, there were seasons. The climate was a lot different. And so those dinosaurs would become extinct. And here is a beast that, you know, after a couple hundred years, still around. And we don't know what it was, an elephant, hippopotamus, some kind of dinosaur. But here's the thing. Job is being reminded that God is the creator of man and beast. This beast is remarkable. So, Job, can you capture and subdue this great creature? And the answer, of course, is no. You know, what are you going to do, throw spears at this thing? And we're going to see that he's going to talk about, as we go into chapter 41, the Leviathan, that the Lord says, you can throw spears at it, but it's like stubble. So, you know, in those days, it wouldn't work to do that. You can't subdue it. So what makes you think that you have the wisdom to judge? So he continues on, addressing Job chapter 41. Can you draw out the Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with the line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you leash him uh, for your maidens? Will you companions? And, you know, I like verse 5 there. This mighty creature that's being spoken of will be described. You know, can you put a leash on him and bring him home? Kind of like, you know, a kid that would bring home, you know, him for a pet and say, Mom, can I keep him? You know, can you do that? Verse 6, will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine, Job. Now the Lord speaks about this creature, the Leviathan. Can you contend with this creature, Job? Can you capture him? Now, we saw this creature mentioned earlier in the book of Job, and some say it's nothing more than a huge crocodile. You know, some say that maybe it's a sea creature like a whale. Some have suggested it's just some kind of mythical creature. Others, as we see here, we're going to see that the description of this animal here is breathing out fire. So some have suggested that this is a reference to Satan. Again, personally, I believe that God is just making reference to a real creature that existed at this time. And Job, look at this mighty creature. Can you contend with him? How are you going to be able to contend with me then? And he describes this mighty creature. You know, you can't overpower this creature. How can you contend with the creator? Um, can you, you know, have your companions make a banquet of him? No. So God is showing his greatness here to Job and, and bringing a point that, Job, I am everything that is under heaven is mine. And now he describes his animals. We finish uh, going through the chapter. In verse 12, I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power, or his great, graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Uh, who can open the doors of his face and his 
terrible teeth all around. His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. So is uh, one is so near another that no air can come between them. Verse 17, they are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. He sneezes, flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights, sparks of fire shoot out, smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. Verse 21, his breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Now, what does that describe? To me, it's like a fire-breathing dragon. So that's why some have suggested that perhaps this is just a reference to Satan who's referred to in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 11 as what? The dragon. But again, I believe personally that, that it's a creature that existed that somehow was able to breathe fire out or whatever it might be. But here we see that, that um, in this chapter that uh, he's describing the the, the skin, the limbs of this creature, terrible teeth, rows of scale, shoots out fire. Verse 22, strength dwells in his neck. Sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together. They are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone, even as hard as the lower millstone. And when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid because of his crashings um, that they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw, the bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw. He laughs at the threat of javelins. He understands, you know, or he undersides are like sharp postures. He spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Verse 32, he leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. So here we see in this description that the might of this Leviathan, he doesn't fear. He laughs at the threat of javelins, um, sling, stones, arrows, darts. It's like stubble, this angry creature. So here God, you know, again, challenging Job in this. And now in chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge. The last chapter, finally we get to this. Job now knows that there's no way that he can argue his case with God. The God that you are so awesome and you are so incredible that you are infinite. How can I argue my case? I know that you can do everything, verse 2 is what Job realizes, and he can. And that's the thing that you and I need to remember. When we go through those times in our lives where we find ourselves in distress, when we're wondering and, and we're confused and we're crying out to God, why? That know this, whatever it is that you're going through, that God can do everything. And there's no problem, nor difficulty, no trial too difficult to where God can't work in your life, where he can't bring healing or comfort, where he can't work in you, where he's refining you and growing you and desiring to use you and for his glory to be revealed, for you to, to see his compassion and his mercy, to know that God does love you. And so he is with you, and he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. But we need to remember the awesome power of God that no matter what it is that I'm going through, there is no distress or difficulty or circumstance, Lord, that you can't work in. And then he says, there's no purpose of yours that can't be withheld from you. You see, if God can master the behemoth and the Leviathan, then listen, he can accomplish his purpose for you, just as he's going to accomplish his purpose for Job's life. So Job here acknowledges God's power and just 
in, in executing his plan. And Job admits that his words were wrong and had spoken about things that he didn't understand. And oftentimes what will happen is we become more focused on the things that we don't understand. And we really wrestle with those things. Rather than just giving it to the Lord and saying, Lord, there are some things that I'm not going to understand. Maybe I'll understand, you know, some things later. Maybe I'll never understand what it is that I'm going through or why you allowed this to happen in my life on this side of eternity. But, Lord, I want to focus on the things I do understand. And that is your love and your promises and, and what you have to say for me and that you will accomplish and perfect that which you want to accomplish in my life because you have eternity's perspective and views in mind. And we see that Job, he repents before God as he, he's, he says in verse 4, Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. And I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I can't answer you, Lord. All I can do is admit my pride and repent and humble myself. And Job says, I abhor myself and repent in sackcloth and ashes and dust and ashes. And it's interesting that Job here, he says, I, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. You know what happens when we really see the Lord clearly? I mean, when the Lord really is revealing himself to us. What happens is humility happens and a submission to him. We see that in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember that it was the prophet that wrote, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And what did Isaiah said? And I said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You see, for five chapters, it was Isaiah that was, you know, saying, Woe to the nation and woe to, to you guys. And that was true. He was going to rebuke the nation. But then he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, Woe in me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But when we really have the Lord, because he is light, when he reveals himself to us, where we really begin to see the Lord clearly, it brings a humility where we humble ourselves before the greatness of God. We see that with Peter. Remember that it was Jesus that said to Peter, Peter, I want you to throw your nets on, on the you know, side and, and pull in your nets. And, and Peter said, why should I do that? You don't fish this time of day. And Peter did. He cast his nets on the side of the boat and he had his huge haul of fish that came in. He couldn't even pull in the net. They were so heavy, so full of fish. And Peter, he just fell before the Lord and he said, forgive me, Lord, for, you know, depart from me, for I'm a man of, uh, a sinful man. And Peter was humbled before the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said that the door of repentance opens into the hall of joy. So here Job is repenting of his cursing the day of his birth. He repents of his desire to die. Job is repenting of his complaints and challenging of God. And he's repenting that he spoke beyond his knowledge. So it's a humble repentance and submission to God. I know that uh, in my own life, and the Lord's still working in my life, that the Lord will reveal himself to me to when that happens that it causes me to become more humble and to say, Lord, you know what? I'm a sinful man because that's what light does and that's what the Lord desires to do. He desires for us to be in complete you know, submission to Him and humbleness to Him, but to just to trust in Him. You know, so we see here that as we finish this section of Job and we're going to see his, his you know, restoration here, that in this book of Job, the victory belongs not to Satan, but it belongs to God and to Job. It belongs to the Lord and it belongs to Job. As we read about Job's restoration here in verse 7, and so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. 
Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz and Bildad and so far went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. You know, the friends of Job are rebuked for not speaking of what was right concerning the Lord. And I just want to remind us that James says, not many of you desire to be teachers because you'll be held at a stricter judgment. And I just want to remind us once again that as we desire to counsel others, we need to make sure that we are giving godly counsel to others. That we are not only giving the word of God to them, but we are making the right application and the right implication to them. That we are able to do that. So we need to make sure that we are counselors, that first of all, we're bringing people to the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ, but to the truth of the word of God. And that we are bringing it in the right application and uh, that we're applying it to them in their situation. And so we want to be wise. We want to continue in the scriptures. We want to ask God for help as we minister to others. So here we see that, um, you know what? Your friends, they need to give a burnt offering because they spoke of things that weren't right. And the Lord has accepted Job, which means that God lifted up Job. And we see joy and hope returning. And that's what the Lord desires to do in our lives and even when we're going through difficulties or loss or grief or whatever it might be. That's one of the things that I think that we're going to see as you know, we go through the book of Psalms, that so many of those Psalms, we see the psalmist, and David wrote you know, half of the Psalms. But David would cry to the Lord, and he would say, Hear my cry, O Lord. You know, when David said that, just a little preview of Psalms, Hear my cry, O Lord. You know how you read that oftentimes in David's Psalms? You know what he's saying? Lord, hear me now. Lord, hear me now. I need your help now, is what David would say. And he would speak of the difficulties that he was going through and the hardships and how his enemies surrounded him over and over again. But then he would get his focus back on the Lord and the goodness of the Lord, and the Lord has, is going to bless me. He's going to be my defender, and he will be the one that lifts up my head. And that's what we're going to be reminded of over and over again as we go through the Psalms. But we see that the Lord restored, in verse 10, Job's losses in, when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Notice something very important here, because the focus oftentimes is on that the Lord restored Job twice as much as what he had. Here's something that we don't want to miss. He prayed for his friends. He prayed for them. These guys were not nice to him. They made accusations against him that weren't true. They dug in their heels. They hurt Job. They didn't have any compassion. They weren't listening to him. They wouldn't even look at him. And Job was cut very deep by these guys and what they were implying and what they were accusing and what they were saying. And what does Job do? He prays for these guys. And I think this worth, you know, and important for us to stop and worth considering this because in our own lives, every single one of us will go through, you know, a relationship or go through a time where somebody hurts us. And I know that some of you probably have been hurt very deeply by somebody. And we see that Job here doesn't let it, you know, make him bitter, that is. He doesn't let it cause him to just be bitter. But what he does is he becomes better by praying for them. And that's what you and I are to do. And I think that's what Jesus was really saying when he says that you are to pray for your enemies. And that can be a very hard thing to do, to forgive and to pray for that person that has really cut you deep. I think it's probably one of the hardest things that God has called us to do. But you see, the Lord wants us not to be bitter. He wants us to be free from that. And Job chose here, I'm going to pray for them. And perhaps there's somebody that has cut you deep that you're very bitter in your heart about. 
And I would encourage you that you pray to the Lord, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me not to be bitter. It's a supernatural work of the Lord that he has to do in us. We can't do it in our own energy. We can't do it in our own flesh. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to pray for them. And you know what you'll find? You'll find yourself being freed up, not in bondage to thinking about it all the time. So Job here, he, he is one that he prays for them. And he doesn't become bitter. And then all his brothers and his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. And so we see here that um, his friends come to him, uh, his family comes to him, and um, they begin to minister to him, console him and comfort him. You know what I love about this church, Calvary Chapel? Is that what you guys do? It's what you guys do. All the time when I come in and you guys are praying for each other, there's people praying in the coffee shop, you really care for each other. You know, the, the, the prayer chain, those of you who are on the prayer chain, you take it very seriously to pray for others because I hear about it. And you care. And, and this needs to be a place, this family, to where when one of us comes in that is hurting, that has gone through loss and difficulties, that we surround them and console them and comfort them. That's what's so wonderful about being part of the body of Christ. We have something very special and unique. A lot of people don't have that. So I would encourage you, you always want to be plugged into a body of believers to where you have them to be here to lift you up and to encourage you and to comfort and console you in a time that you need it. And all of us will need it at one time or another. And then in verse 12, Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. And for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. And the daughters are named there in verse 14. But then in verse 15, In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. In other words, he lived a long life, a good life, a full life. And um, we see that God blesses him. Listen, I want to sum it up. Just a couple more minutes and then we're going to be done. Number one. As we go through this book, Job's suffering was not a direct result of sin. He was an upright man, godly man. But here's the thing, in chapter 42, he's more of a godly man. Because he's been refined. And there is one time where he said, and you remember that even though he was confused and struggling and he would say things and question the justice of God, he would come out with these great statements of faith, you know, and one of the things that he said, that when I am through this time, that the Lord will refine me as gold. And that's what has happened here, that he's been refined. And listen, the Lord will allow trials to come into our lives because he wants to do that refining work in our lives. And he wants us to discover his glory and his mercy and his compassion to a greater degree that we may just draw closer to him and grow in our faith of him. James in chapter 5 verse 11 said that you've heard of the perseverance of Job and seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful and he desires to reveal his glory to you and for you and I to be refined as gold, to grow in our faith, to be stronger in our faith and to declare his goodness. Second of all, remember that Satan wanted Job to curse God and God is glorified. Here's the thing. When we continue to trust God and rest in His love and the difficulties that we're going through, and we continue to proclaim His goodness and His greatness, then He is glorified. And my prayer for all of us, Lord, whatever it is that I go through in my life, whatever circumstance or situation I'm going through, I want You to be glorified. I want to bring glory to you, and the Lord desires to do that. 
He desires for him to be glorified through our lives as we just give that testimony that the Lord is good and he's working in my life. And you're going to see it. Thirdly, God didn't explain to Job the reason for his suffering. And as I've mentioned over and over again, that we don't always understand it. Why we go through sufferings or loss or grief. But we can rely on, as I said, never forget on what we do understand. That he is in control. And that he is good. And he is working in eternity's perspectives and views. That God is perfectly just, right? That he is perfectly right and true. And one day, as I've mentioned to you, that we will all be in heaven, as Revelation chapter 19 says. And we will all declare together, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions. The Lord loves you. And there are those times in our lives where we need to be still and know that he is God. That's kind of what Job was saying. And he says, I will put my hand over my mouth. Fourthly, I pray that as we've gone through this book, that it's really shown us how to minister to others going through trials. To not be a miserable counselor, but to be a godly counselor. To be able to give the word of God at the right time with the right application and the right implication. And I pray that we would bring comfort to others and that we would give them truth and that we would always bring them to the Lord, the wonderful counselor. And then lastly, listen, I don't want us to, to misinterpret this last chapter to think that every trial is going to end with all the problems solved, all the hard feelings, you know, just forgiven and forgotten, we're going to live happily ever after. It doesn't always happen that way. We don't know how long Job was in the ash heap, how long this happened. And then he's restored. And he has full of days and a good life. But I've known people who have loved the Lord and have served the Lord. And they've gone through trial after trial after trial. And their hearts, you know, their lives have been hard. So we don't know, you know exactly how trials always will end. But I do know this, that God writes the last chapter. Just as the last chapter is written for Job, he's going to write the last chapter for your life and my life. And we can trust God to do what is right no matter how painful our situation might be. You know what the blessing is of Job being restored here? The blessing isn't that he got twice as much possessions. He had 10 more children. You know, he was restored to his family. You know what the blessing was? Is that he knew God better. And his faith was strengthened. And he was one that was desiring to give glory to God. And that's where the victory is. So, Father, we thank you for this book that we've gone through. And Lord, we know that you didn't directly answer Job why he went through. He probably never knew of that heavenly scene that we read about in chapters 1 and 2. But Lord, in our own lives, I pray that we would always be ones, that we would trust in you, and that we would rest in your love always. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone here tonight that's going through difficulties or going through hardships or hard times, going through loss or grief, that, Lord, you hold us in your hands. We may not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. We don't know how it's all going to end, but we know that you write the last chapter. And so, Father, may we come to that place of just resting and looking to you always. And, Lord, knowing that you are great and you're almighty God, you are all-powerful, you're the creator. And Lord, that we can look to you for everything. That you're on the throne and you're in control. And Lord, I pray that we would always look to the cross of Jesus who came and died for our sins. 
They give us the greatest need that we need, and that is forgiveness of sin and eternal life that only comes through Jesus. And even on Sunday morning as we are finishing John, as we see Jesus on that cross and he cries out, it is finished. The greatest three words next to I love you is it is finished. I've done the work. I paid the price for sinful humanity. And I pray that everyone that is here tonight has come into that personal relationship with Jesus. Receive that forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven, the greatest need that man has. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't made a personal commitment to you, that they would do so tonight. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to surrender your life to him. He created you. And he sent his son to die for you on the cross. And if that's you tonight, desiring to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, pray right where you're at. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other salvation. It's Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. He is the son of God. And he proved who he was, validated what he did by rising from the grave. And you come by faith, the Bible says, to be justified. God is the only one that can justify you, and that comes through Jesus. You pray, Jesus, come into my life and to my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins, for I am a sinner. And I believe you died on Calvary's cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the grave and you're alive. And I open up my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my heart. My life is not its own. I surrender completely to you. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. Father, I pray if there's anyone who who asked you into their hearts tonight, that they would know that you are true and that you've heard them. Father, may all of us understand as we close here tonight that if we can trust you with our salvation, we can trust you with our lives. So heal the brokenhearted. Give direction to the one who needs it. Bring strength to the one who is weak. Lord, bring comfort, strength, wisdom console the one because you are the God of all comfort be the lifter of our heads Lord and know that we can cry out to you and you hear us that Lord that you're working according to eternity's plans and purposes and you're working for good grow us Lord refine us help us to know you better and be submitted to you be surrendered completely. So Lord, we thank you for this book that we've gone through. Pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.